Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and Ben Girding is back with us today to talk about Colorado beating Oregon uh, 74 to 65 last night at the CU Event Center. Uh, how's it going, Ben? Going good, going a lot better uh, after watching that game last night. Unfortunately, I, like many other viewers from home, wasn't able to catch all the way until the end, but luckily some people on Twitter were able to take care of that, give us the game by or the uh, play-by-play action, and I mean, just what a win it is for this program. That's so crazy that the broadcast blacked out. Like, I have no idea how any of that works, but it's just insane to me because because what they missed the last five minutes of the game. Uh, yep, just about, <laughs> and I and it just cut That's back crazy. to a screen. And it was just Jay Billis and the host, and they were like, yeah, we've got some technical difficulties, so here we will show you highlights from other games. And everybody on Buff's Twitter oh. was really upset, and it was just other games' highlights, and then they'd switch it back to a static screen that just had the score up on it. Weird. Yeah, because I didn't see much of that um, until after the game, because like usually I sit over there and like, like scroll, scroll through Twitter, Twitter see what everybody's saying. saying. And, and like, like do, do my, my own tweets and stuff. stuff. But, but then toward the end of that game, I ran over to the other corner so that I could get a good angle of everybody rushing the court afterward. And so I wasn't really checking Twitter the last couple of minutes. But then as soon as all that kind of died down, I went through my mentions and, and there was some stuff like, like somebody said, I can't remember who it was like tweet faster or like other people are saying like, I need more information. What's going on and all that kind of stuff. And I was really, really confused. I didn't understand what anybody was talking about <laughs> and then after the after like the press conference and stuff i was talking to uh, a friend who works for buff vision and she explained the whole thing to me i was like what how does espn just not know how to broadcast the end of the game and you just gotta hope that although espn2 was out for you know the final five minutes you gotta at least hope that some of the voters for the ap were were still able to catch some of the play-by-play because as we were talking about um after the podcast on i believe it was wednesday or or tuesday um it's kind of nice to be a a little bit of the underdog you know some of the alerts that went out after the game are unranked buffaloes top number four oregon but in a sport like college basketball national perception does hold some weight so a game like that to be cut out uh, so that viewers could not see the end of such a huge win a uh, little disappointing but hopefully it won't hurt them too too bad yeah yeah it's it's so weird to think of how that could 
play into what voters think. You know, I, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it, it might honestly be a good thing. I'm trying to pull it up now. So let's see with, uh, with five minutes left, Colorado was up 57, 51, got up to 64, 53, 241. So who knows? I, I, I don't know. They did finish that game out pretty nicely. I, that, that Tyler, did you guys get the Tyler Bay block and technical? Uh, yes. Yes. The tech was okay. on there. It was right before when it cut off. I believe McKinley Wright was sitting at 14 points. So he scored another seven in the time that uh, ESPN. Oh, was wow. Off. That's that's so weird. Okay, well, we probably don't need to keep talking about that. Um, <laughs> we don't need to we dwell on probably that. just explain what happened to the people who didn't get to see or the people who were there. Um, yeah, it, it was a crazy night. I've never seen that place like that before. You know, I'd, I'd heard of what the keg used to be in the past. Last night, there were 10,770 people there. It's the biggest crowd since uh, the Arizona game in 2016. Uh, the Arizona game was also, I believe, it was in the last weekend of the season, so uh, not during winter break, which makes a big difference. Yeah. There weren't a whole lot of students there, but the student section was still packed because uh, other people found their way in. It was crazy. It was loud. People were screaming. Everybody was there. Uh, Mel Tucker was sitting there with Rick George. Uh, they were courtside with Phil Lindsay. Um you know, baseline, you have Josh Scott, Ben Mills, uh, Andre Roberson was there. Um, everybody, everybody was there. Um, I don't know. I'm definitely forgetting some people. Uh, Peggy and Betty were there. I don't know. It, it was just crazy. Everybody was super hyped. Everybody was screaming. Everybody was on their feet. Uh, I wrote about this, and if you guys are subscribers, maybe you've read it already. But, you know, one of my favorite things I saw all night was... Uh, Evan Batty lay out uh, an Oregon duck with a screen, like kind of near midcourt. And Lance Carl, the associate athletic director, no, it's the assistant. They call it assistant athletic director for football, um, who was in like the section over from the press, was like standing up, screaming, like pumping his fist. It, it was it was a pretty cool environment. It was unlike anything I've seen before. Obviously, like fans rushed to court after. KD Nixon's down there doing his thing. Um, everybody was hyped. That was a really cool thing to be a part of. So Ben, I guess my question is, how much does it suck that you weren't there? A lot. Uh, I had a couple different friends text me asking if they could email me their tickets because they were bringing some of their high school friends that don't necessarily go to Boulder, but they're in the area and they Mm -hmm. wanted to go back up. And I was just in that moment, I was so disappointed. And then when the game cut out was just about when I stood up and, and, and had had some choice words for ESPN because I was just so disappointed because of how pivotal a win that is. Um, I think for Colorado fans and students in particular, there's not a lot of hype around the basketball team outside of people who are very keyed into sports. And I think that's difficult for a program to overcome because when you talk about, you know, the college experience, a lot of the time it's, you know, the football games and the tailgates. But since basketball doesn't necessarily have that atmosphere, it could be a lot tougher to get students to really commit and tune into the schedule so they know what's going on. So with a big win like that, I hope that it really can help translate into getting that attendance up for the rest of conference play. 
this is probably one of the biggest wins, if not the biggest win, uh, that the Buffs will have this season in the regular season. I don't know that any win is going to mean this much. Now, by the time we get into late February, um, I could be biting my tongue on that statement, but still... It was so pivotal for this program to pick up that huge win. It was a huge upset in the rankings, but interestingly enough, the Buffs were still one-and-a-half-point favorites entering the night because Oregon is That's now 0-9 when traveling to Boulder. Uh, so I'm glad that they were able to take care of business there because it, it keeps cementing that fact that uh, the Buffs' home field advantage is that tremendous. Uh, but overall, anyone who was in the stands that night was very lucky to see it. Yeah, no, that was... That was something else, and it is huge going forward. Um, you know, when, when you look at how the Pac-12 stacks up, um, you know, Oregon typically being given the top spot, then you have that Colorado, Arizona, maybe Washington type tier right behind. With Colorado taking down Oregon, you have to think that this might be the favorite to, to win the Pac-12 right now, or at least they're in the driver's seat. They have by far the best win. Um, that's, that's an incredible way to start conference play. Um, what, what Tad Boyle really stressed after the game was that, you know, big wins are great, but essentially you can just cancel those out quickly by, by losing another game. You know, beating Oregon means nothing if you can't beat Oregon State. At the end of the season, you might as well have beaten Oregon State and lost to Oregon because things would kind of pan out the same way. That's kind of the message now is that, okay, you've beaten Dayton, you've beaten Oregon, and and they got up against Iona to their credit in between those two games. Next up is Oregon State on Sunday. You know, it's an afternoon game, probably not a huge crowd, especially with it still being winter break, not much of a student section. People are kind of coming off this high. I'm I'm worried. I'm worried about that game. Do, do, Do you think I should be? I I wouldn't use the word worried. I, I would I would go as far as to just say anxious because, like you said, it's very easy for this team to fall flat right after such a huge win. They might, you know, have a little hangover going into the next matchup, and I think that's what's most important. Colorado's a better team than Oregon State. And so yep. with that being said, it's easy for them to overlook that because they're going to ride the high off this game. So I think they need to take today get their minds right, and really start to focus again on just keep doing Colorado basketball. Just keep doing exactly what it is that got them to win because what was so important against the Oregon matchup last night is that they didn't do anything outside of the ordinary. It's not like we saw this team turn around and hit 60% from three, and that's the reason why they won. No, they played their style game, which was controlling the defensive pace of the game. They shut Oregon down, and then they took what the uh, offensive looks were giving them. They weren't forcing up a lot of shots that turn into makes. That's why I love this win is because they did it playing their style basketball. They weren't necessarily getting lucky. They were doing it by pretty much emphasizing everything that Tad Boy has been teaching them thus far. So I think that if they can turn around and they can take that into Oregon State, I don't think there's any reason to worry. But the most important game is the one that's next. So, I mean, I I think it was a great victory over Oregon. I hope they celebrated as a team in that locker room after. I'm sure it was crazy. But they need to make sure they don't get hung up on it because, like you said— one good win can be canceled out so quickly. And if they lose to Oregon State, this week was a wash. You went 500, and you took down a team that was good, but you lost to a team you should have beaten. Where does that leave you? 
Right now, the Buffs are sitting first place in the Pac-12 because they have that huge win already, plus an outstanding record coming in at 12-2. and They need to be able to show that they can continue to beat the teams that they should be able to. Yeah, and one of the reasons I'm concerned is because, you know, this is a team that really is built on effort. You know, it, it isn't like when you're watching, I don't know, the, the Houston Rockets, and they're just out there throwing up threes whenever they're open. You know, not not necessarily playing like nose to the grindstone basketball, not like lining up and fighting on every defensive possession, not working a whole lot off ball. And, you know, that's kind of just a random example. But, but what Colorado does is they shut down their opponents and they work together on offense to get good looks. They don't play much iso ball. That makes it tougher to replicate against bad teams because you really do need to have the same amount of energy uh, against a bad team to, to make the formula work. Because otherwise, if, if you're that kind of team and you don't have guys who can score on the ISO, but you're still trying, your offense isn't going to do much. And if you aren't locked in on defense, then there goes your entire identity. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. And and that was a point of emphasis that Tad made that, uh, you know, we, we got to talk to Tyler Bay, Deshaun Schwartz, and McKinley Wright after the game. And all three of them made the same point that you, you, you've got to... You, you, you've got to bounce back keep it going it's a it's going to be a challenge um but that's in the future that's what's up next uh let's keep talking about what happened last night um mckinley wright was a a monster defensively he shut down peyton pritchard um one of the best guards in the pack 12 pretty much the entire oregon offense you know, it, it's built around having a couple big guys, having Pritchard who can get to the rim, and then Pritchard can kick it out to some really good three-point shooters. It's a young team, except for Pritchard, the senior point guard. He put up 21 points, but that's not all that bad when you're able to force him to put up as many shots as he did, contested shots, and not really give him any other options, uh, which was kind of the game plan. McKinley Wright didn't let him go right, which was the book on him and it really worked and then on the other side of the ball McKinley was just unstoppable late um finished 6 of 11 for 21 points pretty efficient night uh two of the buffs eight turnovers he was just incredible I thought uh yeah I I don't know he he really impressed me most with that put back dunk um when he just kind of flew up there, uh, I think I think it was like a Tyler Bay miss layup. It was definitely Tyler Bay miss layup, and the ball was just hanging up there. And McKinley got to jump up, grab it, and throw it down, and it was just special. It was it was definitely a display of athleticism that I don't think a lot of people have seen from McKinley right before. I can tell you from personal experience, he is that athletic. I had uh, one incident with a run-in with him in the rec center, uh, and uh, he definitely (laughs) threw me down, uh, crossed me up, went up for a nice little dribble drive. So I've seen him before in action, so I wasn't necessarily surprised, but it was that moment that was such a huge momentum swing because for him to get a put-back dunk with your six-foot point guard, it's kind of like, in Oregon's eyes, what are we supposed to do to beat these guys? I mean... Colorado played 
as close to a perfect game against Oregon that they could have. And like you said, part of that was McKinley Wright playing out of his mind. Peyton Pritchard is fourth in the Pac-12 in shooting. And on top of that, Oregon is a top five three-point shooting team in the country. This team shoots lights out on a night-to-night basis, and yet Colorado held them to just 16% from deep. If you want to point to one stat that really shows where this game went wrong for Oregon and in favor for Colorado, you have to look at the three-point shooting because that's what they've done all year. They're averaging over 80 points a game. The Ducks are explosive. And part of that was because Kinley Wright held Pritchard to just one for six from deep. Those shots weren't falling, but they also weren't getting the looks that they needed. And another big part of that, too, is because this defensive game plan was perfect against the Ducks. How do you stop a potent offense? Well, Tad Boyle gave you an example. You force them to hold the ball. So many possessions, especially in the first half, you saw Oregon really not getting into the rhythm of their offense until six or seven seconds left in the shot clock. And at that point, all they can do is make pretty much one, two passes and get a shot up. When you are forcing them out of their own rhythm, when you're making them play outside of their comfort zone, that's when you're going to get them to shoot up, not necessarily bad shots, but they're not comfortable with the shots that they're taking. And the big part of that was McKinley Wright anchoring that defense. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And that was something that uh, Tad pointed to after the game as well. You know, that was one of the first things out of his mouth as he said, you know, we, we only or we didn't give up a single three-pointer in the first half, only three in the second half. You win a bunch of basketball games when you do that. And he singled out McKinley Wright. And this was kind of an interesting thing that he did, and it honestly surprised me. But what he said was McKinley is the most underrated uh, defensive player in the country. Um, Which, you know, he might not be wrong about that. But then... After that, he said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Tyler Bay was an all-conference uh, defender last year. But, you know, why wasn't McKinley on that list? And he kind of just called Tyler out and said, you know, McKinley Wright is the better defender. And that's something that is, it, it's, it still surprises me every time Tad does it. And and he he doesn't shy away from saying something like that where, you know, maybe it is a little bit pointed at somebody he'll say you know Tyler played like garbage or he didn't put in the effort rebounding which was not the case last night but had been the case in the past um and he'll he'll just straight up call guys out and say we need more from you or even in this situation when he's talking about McKinley Wright we'll just say yeah he's probably a better defender than Tyler Tyler gets the blocks and steals so he gets the accolades um you never really know what to expect from Tad, but I always really enjoy it. Uh, another thing from McKinley, you know, you brought up how they forced the the, the Ducks to uh, start their possessions kind of late in the shot clock. Um, McKinley Wright, on the offensive end, had a couple of buckets in those same situations when, you know, he has the ball with seven seconds left and he needs to make a play. Uh, there, there was one where he let it run down, the clock run down to like, under three seconds, he's at the three-point line and then just takes off and gets to the rim and lays it in. And I couldn't believe how quickly he got from like a standstill at the three-point line to the rim. And and you could tell that part of the reason it worked is because the defender didn't think there was any chance he could try anything other than just chucking up a three. Uh, and that's something that I really think that the buffs have needed 
Um, and it's something that we've talked a little bit about in the past. And that's that you, you need somebody who can just go get you a bucket. You know, and this isn't a team that's necessarily built to do that. It's a system offense. They're trying to do all these different things. Sure, you want to start the system, start all the rotations with McKinley Wright putting his head down and trying to get to the basket. But a lot of the time, those are passing situations. To see him in a couple of late clock situations come through, you know, I think he had a three in a late clock situation as well. It was it was pretty impressive. Um, and that's one of those things that we've needed to see Colorado improve upon. Um, who yeah. else really impressed you last night? Oh, do you have more? I, uh, like I, I mean, just to touch on that too, like we talked about with the midseason awards, we talked a lot about who is going to be the guy in conference play to really make this offense work. And I, for one, was very impressed by McKinley Wright putting that on his shoulders because to that point, I was actually very disappointed with a lot of people on the offensive side of the ball for the Buffs yesterday. It just felt like no one really was feeling quite themselves on the offensive side, at least. And and with when them putting up, you know, 74 points, that might be somewhat of a hot take. Maybe my first hot take on the pod, but it just it just felt a little off to me, and I'm not sure why. Um, and so, you know, to go off your next question when you said who impressed you, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Tyler Bay from the opposite position, if that's all right. His yeah. offense was not what I wanted to see from him early on in particular. His first three shots in a game should not be pull-up jumpers. And that just yeah, it, kind it of... Seemed like- it might have even been four. It might have even been his first four. He went like one for four with those free throw line jumpers. And and yeah, it, it was so weird. Exactly, it, it just didn't feel right. It just felt like he was trying to do something that was outside of his comfort zone. Which you know we talked about Colorado playing Colorado basketball. That's not Tyler Bay's look. I would love when he takes that shot. Instead, in that next situation, when he's got two three feet of space in front of him, drive to the basket. He's got length that is unmatched um, in the conference. And so if he can take that to the hoop and get a good look, worst case, he's getting fouled. Or I'm sorry, be- yeah, worst case, he's getting yep. fouled. Best case, he's going up and making a layup, and you've got two points. His jump shot is still developing, and I like that he takes some of those shots to keep the defense honest. But when you haven't hit on the first couple, he's not the type of shooter that should just open up until he makes one. I would have loved to see him dribble inside and kind of take a couple more closer looks at the hoop. Now, with that being said, his output on defense and on the glass was still enough for me to say, you know what, that's, I mean, it's fine. He ended up with a double-double, 15 points, still a great night for him. But I just think he still hasn't reached his maximum potential on the offensive side of the ball. I think defensively, he's doing everything he needs to. If he can get a little bit more confidence to take the ball inside more, I think you could see a lot more great things from him because his shooting percentage is pretty good already because he gets those open looks, but a lot of those are created by McKinley Wright. I think for him to take that next step, when he gets that dish at the elbow, instead of pulling up, make a move, see what you can do. He hit one turnaround jumper already in this game, so he could do that in a worst case scenario if he turns to back down the defender and doesn't get as far as he would like. But I would just love to see him kind of get a little bit more creative, think outside the box on the offensive side. Yeah, and and I I do think he picked it up offensively from there. Um, he didn't do too much really late in the game, but you know maybe from uh, let let's just call it like the middle twenty five minutes. I thought he played pretty well, but yeah, to start the game, it it was disappointing honestly to see him take those shots. 
And uh, then McKinley Wright kind of put on a show late and became the guy at the end. Tyler can be dominant. Um, we, we've seen him be dominant before. I just don't know what exactly needs to change for him to get back to that spot. You know, it, is, is he deciding he wants to take more of those jumpers? Is the, the coaching staff saying, we want to see you take a couple of jumpers early, see if you can stretch things out, make things easier for yourself later on? I don't really know what's going on. Uh, I'd love to talk with him about that. Um, hopefully I'll get a chance to sometime in the next couple of days. But I don't know. It's 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 still just a little bit disappointing. Again, though, the when you put up 15 points and 14 rebounds, it's kind of hard to complain about somebody's game. Right. It's very nitpicky to say, well, he shouldn't open up with four jump shots and he still ends the game with 15 points. People might say, well, you know, what are you complaining about? He still shot six for 13 from the field. I think this is more so just us looking at it from a little bit higher up and saying like that 15 can very quickly become 20 if he just does one little thing differently. And, and on top of that too, if he makes a couple more of those shots in the beginning, it might've been, farther out, you know, from the start, because Colorado is only up 28-22 at halftime, which is still good. You want to go in with a lead, but it was very much a close game until you got into the second half. So just a, a kind of a nitpicky thing, but I would love to see him take that next step on offense because he is capable of it. Yep, I totally agree. Um, we have a lot more to talk about. Um, first of all, with this Oregon game, also the Buffs women's basketball team plays Oregon tonight in Oregon at eight o'clock and you know Oregon's still one of the top teams in the country there as well with Sabrina Ionescu potentially the best women's college basketball honestly maybe just the best college basketball player of any gender of all time um so that's gonna be a lot of fun want to talk for a minute about that and also Jason Harris is signed to come to Colorado the Buffs new number one recruit in the 2020 class before we get into that, though, I do want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery um, because it's the official beer of DNVR. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is a classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a lighthearted Kolsch ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on the ND, or the DNVR.com. Uh, you'll be able to see all of the events we have planned and we will be drinking Breck beers at all of them. Real so, quick, I RSVP was. Well, I'm so sorry. Uh, real quick, oh, no. I, I was um, I was out to lunch yesterday, and I I heard um, a gentleman asking the bartender for what her recommendations were, and she said they just got this vanilla porter on tap, and he asked who it was from, and she said this company called Breckenridge Brewery, and he he goes I've never heard of him, and I I had to perk up, and I had to say that is a damn good beer. So my my endorsement <laughs> is spreading across the country. Oh, love it. Um. Also, Bojo's. Have you been to Bojo's? I haven't. I still haven't either. I was out of town when we had like the Christmas party thing, and so I didn't get to try it. So we're going to have to go sometime. Um, there's only one place that you can get a true Colorado mountain pie. It's your favorite locally owned, legendary, unbelievably delicious pizza joint, Bojo's. The Colorado mountain pie has become a staple 
not only for natives, but for those who are just passing through and want to know where the best pizza in town is. Bojo's is the only answer. Bojo's dough is made fresh daily and contains locally sourced honey. You heard that right. They infuse their dough with natural sweetener and it is to die for. There's something for everyone at Bojo's. They have large, delicious mountain pies for the entire family, a huge salad bar with fresh veggies galore, Colorado beer on tap, including our personal favorite, Breck Brews, and your favorite sports team playing in the background. Bojo's has private party rooms for all your holiday get-togethers or to celebrate birthdays and other large events. They have $4 happy hours in select locations along with gluten-free and plant-based options. Nothing is more important to Bojo's than their community, which is why they're always happy to help you raise money for your fundraising causes. Host your next fundraising event at any of their five front range locations. They're also offering this holiday season special pint glass koozies that make a great stocking stuffer. And they also come with a $5 gift card. Check out their site today at bojos.com. That's B-E-A-U-J-O-S dot com. And tell them who sent you. All right. Uh, back in to basketball talk. Um, that game obviously has massive implications. You know, when you, when you look through the rest of this season, all of a sudden Oregon becomes Colorado's best win. Dayton is another very good win. Uh, Northern Iowa this week was sitting five spots outside the top 25 and they aren't going to lose a game in conference play more likely than not. They're just so much better than everybody else that they're going to be going up against. Uh, So there's a good chance that they move up into the top 25. Um, And you also have Kansas. One of the best teams in the country is your other loss. Things are really shaping up well for Colorado. The question I have now is where should the expectations be? Are we kind of at a Pac-12 title or bust scenario? Or is is a top three finish something that bust fans should be excited about? I think that, it, I mean, it'd be hard to say you shouldn't be excited about a top three finish. Uh, I mean, especially because of where Colorado was at the last two years, not being in the tournament, a top three finish. Plus, I believe I saw ESPN uh, did a poll or not a poll uh, rankings and the Colorado Buffaloes have an 89% chance of making the tournament. And that was on December 31st. So top three finish in the in the uh, conference tournament, you make the NCAA tournament. I th- feel like Buffs fans would have a lot to be excited about. But when you look at this team and the talent that it has, as well as the talent around the conference, I think that the expectation should be set that this team is competing for the Pac-12 uh, championship. And that's because we, as, as Colorado, they have a lot of potential because they have Tyler Bay and McKinley Wright leading the charge, whereas a lot of the other teams only really have one major superstar. And I think that that combined with the depth of the team gives them a chance to make a push that other teams might not be able to. I don't think Tyler Bay and McKinley Wright are the most talented per se. And I think that shows when you look at the scoring leaders as well as the rebounding leaders across the conference. Uh, Trace Tinkle in Oregon State, who we'll, we'll see on Saturday night, is one of those guys who I think is probably one of the most individually talented players in the conference. But the team as a whole right now sits with the most depth and the most cohesiveness that I think they will see in a long time. And they need to take advantage of that now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Speaking of Trace Tinkle, uh, he's actually from Missoula, Montana, and played basketball against all of my friends growing up and was dunking on all of them in middle school. Um, Also, Wayne Tinkle was the head basketball coach at Montana, 
before the current coach took over. And so I've been following them for forever. So it's going to be really cool to see what they can do here in Boulder. Um, like you said, Trace Tinkle is kind of a monster. Uh, he's experienced. He's been one of the best players in the Pac-12, honestly, since he was a freshman. Um, a lot of fun watching him play. And it's going to be interesting to see how exactly Colorado matches up against him. Um, I personally uh, feel pretty good about that matchup for Colorado because you have Tyler Bay. Um, you know, Trace Tinkle, six foot seven. Uh, he's he's a veteran at, at 23 years old. It's pretty crazy to see somebody play college basketball that long and be this good at it. But I really do think that if you put Tyler Bay on him, you're 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 not going to keep him to single digits, but you're going to be pretty happy with what happens, right? You should be. I I don't think there should be a worry that he's going to go out and drop thirty because of the defensive capabilities of Tyler Bay, and as well as that, the defensive capabilities just of that team and the pairing of Tyler Bay and Evan Batty. I would love to see Evan Batty on the floor more against Oregon State. He ran into some foul trouble early. Yeah, some of that was very Those some bad questionable. Calls. Yeah, I, I, the refs were not great last night. I think that Evan Batty mm. was a victim of that in particular, and so I think that's why uh, that that happened, and he wasn't able to play as much. So with him and Tyler Bay out there, it should be good. Um, I, I just I always worry a little bit about Tyler Bay. And I don't want to question, I don't want to say the word effort because that's not what I mean. But there's some of the plays uh, that we saw last night with some of Oregon's bigs. When they dribble inside, Bay has some trouble swimming through defenders and some contact. And there was a couple open looks at the rim. So I don't think that's a question necessarily on Tyler Bay as much it is as it is the help defense in Colorado. And so I do think they're going to need to look into that and address that because the problem is, is if Trace Tinkle gets in a pick and roll situation, if he is one-on-one at the rim, it's hard that you're going to win the majority of those matchups. Even if you're splitting it 50-50, just give it to Tinkle the entire game and who can drive down there. They need to work on switching over and playing help defense at the rim. If they can do that, I think they can minimize him to about 15 points in this game. I like it. And, and if that happens... You know, Oregon State really is a very top-heavy team. Um, Trace Tinkle, the kind of unquestioned leader at this point. Um, again, I, I like this matchup, but at the same time, the last time the Buffs lost a conference home game was against Oregon State. Um, so we'll see. You know, there's there's a lot that goes into all of this. You know, you, you need them to get up. You need everybody bought in. Um but I do like it. Uh, going back to the Evan Batty foul calls, those were just awful. Uh, it was painful to watch, you know, and the arena was letting those refs have it. Mel Tucker and Rick George were, <laughs> they they were really going at it with those refs, uh, which has to be nice if you're Tad Boyle, right? Like, like, Tad has a whole bunch of things he wants to say, but you don't want to risk, like, the technical or getting ejected. Having... Mel and Rick just right there across the court from him to do all the talking for him. Not all the talking, but some of the talking for him. That that that's gotta feel good. Take some of the load off of the coach. Mel Tucker was 
leading that crowd because whenever he stood up, I feel like everybody else followed. He was in a perfect position sitting there. Uh, and that was one of the most pivotal plays that I've, I'm thinking of is, is when he stands up and he leans onto the court and he is just in that ref's face. And it's like he doesn't care that he is just a fan in this game. He is repping Colorado. And I think that that should make football fans proud too because Mel has really bought into the culture at Colorado. And so I hate to totally flip the basketball talk into football, but I just I think it's super exciting to see Mel going out to not only those games, but going out to Denver Broncos games and Nuggets games and getting ingrained into the culture here at Colorado because he's really making an effort to make sure he fits in. And on top of that, too, he was giving uh, Peyton Pritchard a lot of mouth as well. He had uh, Pritchard had one drive huh. into the hoop, gave him an and one, and he ran off to the sideline next to Mel and Phil Lindsay and was kind of making some gestures with his hands towards the crowd, like, where's the noise? And Mel and Phil both sort of just booing, and I thought that was perfect. Like, shut that down very quickly. <laughs> oh, I missed that. That's so good. That's I mean, that's what college basketball is supposed to be. Like, they... It, having Mel Tucker and Phil Lindsay there to like scream at those kids. That's great, but might be a little bit unrealistic for the whole season, but to not have that place packed with everybody screaming at the refs, screaming at those guys, like it's just such a great environment and, and hearing McKinley, Wright Talk about how important it is, how it really does help them, how it gets in Oregon's head and how obvious it is that like you need that crowd. It makes a big difference. Um, Tad Boyle saying the same thing. He, he he used the word bag. He said he was begging fans to come to the Oregon State game at four o'clock on Sunday. Hopefully they do. I, I don't know how you, you you wouldn't after what happened against Oregon. Like you, you got to see what they have planned for this game because because they looked like a, a great basketball team and it's probably about time to wrap up the Oregon talk and move on to a couple other things. But that's the biggest takeaway to me is that that Colorado team last night looked like it could beat anybody and, and anybody, honestly, and not just like Oregon at number four, but number three, number two, number one. It, it might take a little bit better shooting performance. You might have to make at least, you know, a third of your three pointers. But the way they were playing defense uh, the the way that they were moving the ball, only eight turnovers. I I honestly think that they could go toe to toe, especially in Boulder, with any team in the country. They made a national statement on Thursday night. They came out, they played their brand of basketball, and they did it as best as they've done in years. And I think that again, that has to be the biggest takeaway: is they just they made the point that Colorado is is here to play. And there was a lot of hype around them in the offseason. They snuck into the top 25 poll, but they never really made a push. I believe that what was the highest they got, 21. And then they fell out after the uh, Northern Iowa loss, which I didn't think they should have because it wasn't a bad loss. But they came out, they beat Dayton on the buzzer beater and said, yeah, we're still here. And then to just dominate Oregon the way that they did, Buffs fans should be very excited for them moving forward because they need to and will start to gain a lot more national attention. Yeah, and and they deserve it. Uh, I, you know, they were the, they were the first team out of the top twenty five coming into this week. Then they beat the number four team. Those losses just keep getting better. I mean, is it unreasonable to think that this team could be ranked twelfth on Monday, assuming they take care of business against Oregon State? I don't think so. 
Uh, 12 seems too high because they haven't, uh, at a, from a national perspective, they haven't been gaining that kind of attention as much. And, and we saw Michigan go from unranked up into the top five before because of their incredible tournament run early in the year in, in one of those uh, invitationals. I would think more yeah. around the 15 to 18 range is where I would put them. But real, that, that's where I think they should be realistically. Wouldn't be surprised if Monday morning you wake up and see them at 21 because I still think there is some perception that this team is just waiting to fall off a cliff. So I, I think somewhere in that late teens, early 20s is where they will end up. But toppling a number four team like they did, a team that, that was Oregon is so explosive. They themselves have beaten so many good teams that it should be held with a lot of weight. I think if they were to get up into the 12 range, I think it, I mean, it, it would just, I would be shocked. I think it'd be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely don't think they're going any higher than 12. Um, honestly, 12 is also kind of a reach for sure. But but yeah, I mean, if if they're in that 15, 16, 17 range, you got to be happy with that. Um, next week, they only play the one game at Utah. Um, not a huge opportunity. I think U- Utah has a couple decent wins, but eh, uh, it's not going to be helping them all that much, I don't think. Um, again, you got to take care of business. Can't be making assumptions. The point is the Buffs are in a really good spot. Um, when quick. we come back, we're going to talk about... Oh yeah. I'm sorry, I just had one more one more question for you. How far do you think Oregon should drop? Ooh, that's a good one. Um I would have trouble moving them out of the top ten. Yeah. I think uh probably it, it might be ten exactly. That nine spot feels about right. Um but again, that's based on my understanding of Colorado and seeing what Colorado actually did. You know, a lot of the voters probably didn't watch that game and have whatever perception they have of Colorado and don't see just how great they played last night. Um, their best performance of the year, I think. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Oregon falls to 12. Um, I, I would say that they're right around 10. That'd be my guess. Mm-hmm. I, I, do, I do think that as well. And I think it'll be interesting to see if Oregon's drop is mirrored by Colorado's rise, I want to see how those two play because it's going to tell you a lot. If Oregon drops all the way down to 12, but Colorado is still in the twenties, I'd be very confused where the voters are getting their kind of perceptions from, because if you're going to drop Oregon down that far, you would want the, the buffs to rise a little bit higher. But, uh, but I, I think 10 is a good spot for him. Yep. Yeah. I think right around there. Okay, uh, before we talk about the Jason Harris signing, um, again, the new number one in the Buffs football recruiting class, uh, I want to tell you about Mile High Green Cross. Uh, so Mile High Green Cross is uh, an incredible experience. You won't forget it. Um, they're, they have award-winning products, uh, and you can go to this year's Cannabis Cup winning products when you head to their website. You can see all all the different awards they won. Uh, they're giving the DNVR family $5 off your purchase of $25 or more. All you have to do is mention this ad. 
Mile High Green Cross offers a variety of CBD products from edibles to concentrates to cartridges. They pride themselves on their customer service and it shows. Every single time you pop in, you'll receive one-on-one attention with one of their seasoned sales associates. Not to mention, they already have everyday low prices on in-house products such as $99 prepack ounces and V3 hash oil bulk deals, including five cartridges for $100. Uh, Mile High Green Cross offers out-the-door pricing. What they advertise is what you pay. No cash, no problem. Mile High Green Cross now accepts hyper. Uh, What's even better is the amount of time you spend in the dispensary. On average, the time you walk in to the time you walk out is only nine minutes. I know that's super important for me in my hectic and crazy life. They're informative and speedy. Head downtown today and check out Mile High Green Cross. They're conveniently located at 9th and Broadway, and they also offer parking in the back. Remember... Mention this ad, and you can save $5 off your purchase of $25 or more. Okay, um, so just to kind of set the scene here, Jason Harris, uh, one of the best football players in the country. I think ESPN had him as their 11th ranked defensive end. Uh, he was playing in the Under Armour All-American Bowl last night, and he had announced about a month ago that he was going to uh, tell the world what his decision was during that football game. Uh, if you guys haven't watched the All-American game, the high school All-American game, they just cut away to the the different kids on the sideline with like their parents and somebody interviewing them and they have like a, a table there where they have like a hat that they pull out and, and they just cut to all these different things throughout the game. Uh, Jason announced his between the first and second quarter and uh, he chose to come to Colorado and he had offers to all sorts of different places, you know, Alabama, Auburn, Oregon, Utah, pretty much anywhere he wanted to go. He could go there. He actually was recruited to play power forward uh, by Arizona State and some other Pac-12 schools as well. Incredible prospect. Uh, the, the buff said today that they have him at six foot seven, 230 pounds. We've seen six foot eight floating around, but uh you know, that's that's a pretty good starting point. Obviously, you want to put another, honestly, maybe 50 pounds on him before he goes to the NFL if you want him to play like a true defensive end spot. Um, but he looks like he has the frame to put on a bunch of weight if that's what you want to do. Uh, huge signing. So exciting. Um, I think that pretty much sums it up. Bumps the Buffs recruiting class up again. Um, how excited are you to see this pass rush next year, Ben? I'm really excited. I think you're really starting to see the Mel Tucker effect in in full this offseason. I obviously best recruiting class in history just keeps getting better. That defensive line is just starting to really come together in a way that I don't know that Colorado fans have ever really expected. Uh, Only 24 sacks on the season last year, I believe. And that's just not going to get it done if you're going to be making a statement, especially with a Pac-12 conference that continues to get better. Oregon's big victory over the Rose Bowl, I think, is going to help the conference as a whole. Uh, The Pac-12 kind of took a step back in the national spotlight. And for them to not be able to get a team in the national championship playoff for another year might have hurt it. But Oregon has really helped... Um, propel the Pac-12, the Conference of Champions, into a better light uh, in a national perspective again. And so with Colorado, they need to be able to take advantage of that because it can help them get into better bowl games moving forward and also push them up uh, to tiers and new recruiting classes. So the defensive line is going to be great. I would not be surprised if they triple their sack output from this season into next. 
Yeah, and you know the Pac-12 gets a bunch of hate, and a lot of it's deserved, but there are only three conferences that have winning records in bowl games this year. That's obviously the Pac-12, um, the SEC, and the Mountain West Conference, which is pretty crazy to think that those are the only three with winning records. They're like five more at 500, and I think the Pac-12 is at four and three, so it's not like they're well above 500. But again, that's that's a good look for sure. That Rose Bowl was huge, like you said. But yeah, this pass rush with Antonio Alfano, I mean, they're getting athletic freaks. I love Mustafa Johnson. I love his game. Uh, obviously, he he can produce at the at the Pac-12 level, which is extremely valuable. And he's going to get a shot in the NFL. You know, not a lot of guys his size who do the things that he does make it in the NFL. But again, it's it's kind of tough to doubt him after seeing what he's been able to do at Colorado. When you look at a guy like Jason Harris, who's six foot seven and has room for so much more weight. Like he's a guy who, you know, if he can play football, he's going to the NFL. Like that's just the way it works. They aren't going to pass on somebody with his build as long as he's just, you know, a a good football player. He doesn't have to be putting up, you know, a a 10 sack season to be getting a shot in the way that Mustafa might. Um, And and now you have him on one edge. Uh, on, On the other end, the other defensive end spot, if, if the waiver goes through, and again, if Jason Harris is ready to go as a freshman, then your your defensive end pairing is uh, Harris and Antonio Alfano. And Alfano is just, and he doesn't make sense. You know, he was, he was bigger than Nick Bosa was when uh, Alfano was at like the high school, I think it was the opening regional. So he would have been 17, maybe 18 by that time. Uh, going into his senior year and he was bigger than Nick Bosa was when Nick was going to the NFL combine. He was also faster and stronger and had better agility. It's just insane to think about what this combo could be because I mean, they, they, (laughs) they could both be wrecking NFL offensive lines in five or six years. Uh, now you mix them in with Mustafa Johnson, Jalen Sami's a big guy who can take up the space in the middle. Plus, I mean, he he's a little bit crafty too. All of a sudden, you just need one or one more of these outside linebackers to pan out. You know, I like Terrence Lang also at the defensive end spot. Does does Carson Wells take the step forward? I don't know, but but this is looking like it's going to be a special group. I just hope we get to see him this year when they still have Mustafa Johnson out on the field. I think that's key I, because Johnson brings a very powerful and also, you know, leadership perspective that having him out there with these two younger defensive ends, I think it would be a really good pairing. Uh, watching the All-American game, the announcers touched on pretty much all of these kids have the ability to play. If they don't make it in college and into the pros, it's not based on their physical Uh, tendencies or anything that they bring to the table, but it's more about the situation that they end up in. So I think it's pretty impressive for, and a statement of confidence in Mel Tucker that he's been able to not only get Alfano to transfer from Alabama, but also get Harris to commit here because it shows exactly what he's offering these kids, which is a chance to really learn and become a force that can turn around and get drafted. Because 
kids come to college to play, to develop, and then go to the next level. Mel Tucker is creating a program that is going to be fostering that talent, and I think that's really impressive. Yeah, yeah, th- this this recruiting effort, I it's been incredible. You know, I, I don't think any of us could have expected to see Colorado do what they're doing, um, especially with these late pushes, you know, pulling the Jason Harris commitment. So, I mean, he, he committed yesterday, last night, during the All-America game. He actually signed his letter of intent during the early signing period, and so he is all locked up. Nobody announced it, though, and so they kept it a secret so that he could make his decision on TV, which is great press for Colorado. So they they, they did pull him in late, though. Um, he was kind of on the fence, even coming into December, I believe. Um, Ashad Clayton they pulled late. Um, I guess Brendan Rice wasn't that late. Uh, but, but they have a bunch of these guys now who just flipped the whole narrative of this recruiting class on its head and now it's looking like there's going to be more talent in boulder than ever before and it kind of seems like this is just the new normal none of this seems too out of line people are just bought into what mel's doing um you know jason harris can can hear mel say you know what we are we're alabama I, i just ran the alabama defense i just ran the georgia defense which is the same thing that's the defense we're running here it's going to take over the pac 12 and guess what you can come learn this great defense. We'll make you a star in this great defense. And you can start playing when you're a freshman because you aren't behind a whole bunch of five stars like you would be if you went to Alabama, if you went to Georgia. Um, especially looking at what the defense did late with all these injuries. Don't forget that this defense was torn apart by injuries going into these last couple of weeks of the season. They were down to what? Their, their third string cornerback was their new number one. Um, injuries all over the place and they held let's see it was washington and stanford to a combined 28 points 27 points that's a great selling point for mel tucker to these kids like look at what this scheme does now imagine you in it um it's so exciting um should also talk about uh tonight the Colorado women's basketball team is taking on Oregon, like I mentioned earlier, 8 o'clock on the Pac-12 network. If you guys watch one Buffs women's basketball game on TV this season, make it this one. Trust me. Uh, this is an insane matchup. This is Sabrina Ionescu. I think the greatest uh basketball player college basketball player of all time she's a triple double machine she's basically like the lebron of college basketball uh, they played in the national title game last year it's gonna be so much fun her jersey sold out like es or nike finally made her jersey and her jersey sold out in like two hours it super cool story um crazy athlete to watch and the buffs are undefeated this is a big measuring stick game for Colorado, who's receiving votes in the top twelve uh, or in the top twenty-five rankings. Uh, Oregon, I need to pull it up. I'm not sure. Last I checked, they were number three, I believe. Um, basically, kind of like what last night was, except for uh, women's basketball. Ben, you're going to be watching. Absolutely. This is their first big test obviously they took care of business in their first conference game against utah and the majority of their other games have been 
I mean, pretty much blowouts. They've been taking care of business across the board. And like you said, they're 12-0. They're getting a little bit of attention. This is a chance for them to show they are exactly what their record shows. Because 12-0 without any great wins is just, I mean, it's still impressive. Don't get me wrong. You can only beat the people who are in front of you. But to play a team as highly ranked as Oregon with the star power that they have, they need to be able to make a statement. Now, I don't know if that means coming in and winning by 20 points or losing a close game. I don't know, you know, which is more likely to expect, but I still think this is their first chance and a big chance for them to make that push and make that statement. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, you you want to see Colorado win for sure, but seriously, if they're able to keep this within 10 points, they're going to get into the rankings. Um, Oregon ranks second in the country. Um, they they are 10-1. and one. They lost a, a, a game to number eight Louisville. But just listen to these final scores from this season. These are their wins. 95-51, I mean, they might have more 40-point wins than they have other results. This team is insanely talented. And like I said, it all starts with Sabrina Ionescu. I am so excited to watch them play. Also, Oregon's going to be uh, playing a game in Boulder in the beginning of February, which is also going to be a lot of fun, like a month from now. Um but yeah, this is like you said, an incredible opportunity to prove that you know this this undefeated start isn't a fluke. Um, I'm getting hyped just thinking about it. Uh, and then again, remember Sunday. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you guys all up in Boulder for the uh, game against Oregon State um, at four o'clock. That's going to be a fun one. Um, and I did just realize that I think we have a comment today. Yes, from a. Jay Smilkstit, um, lots of consonants, who says, agree with Evan getting the Evan Award, but it's right there already for you on the football awards. It's the Buffalo Heart Award. He is a great big man and everything else you said, but it's his heart that wins us games. That's a great point. There actually is an award for what I tried to explain to Evan Batty was, and Tim Lenott won it. They give it to a football player every year. They don't give it to basketball players. He deserves that award. Um, any final thoughts before we head out, Ben? Uh, just to conclude up with women's basketball, too, uh, the Oregon game will be exciting tonight, but Oregon State is also ranked third in the country, and they play them on yeah. Sunday. So it's a big road trip in particular. Um, it, it's tough to predict uh, one victory, even two victories on this road trip, but still, I think this team can show something. I think they have a lot of potential. And if they can steal even one of these games, watch out. Because that would not only do a lot for their confidence, do a lot for their national rankings, but also uh, their, road tri- or their, their schedule gets a little bit easier moving forward then. So if they can come away one-on-one from this huge trip, they can be big, big-time contenders in the conference. Yeah, and like you said, Oregon State on Sunday – that's a that's another really tough one. Um, they they don't have Oregon's reputation, but they also haven't lost a game this year, and you know they they really haven't played a close one either. Um, they've just been dominating everybody, and they've played some ranked opponents as well. Uh, 
two really tough games. Again, keeping one within 10 points would be incredible. Uh, if you can actually pull out a win in one of these, I mean, the Buffs would be on their way. Yeah, they, they, they could make that jump up to number 12 or so. You just don't see many upsets uh, like that. I don't know. I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. 8 o'clock tonight, 1 o'clock on Sunday, and then the Buffs men's team plays in Boulder against Oregon State at 4 o'clock on Sunday as well, and I'll be up there for that. Um, hopefully, we'll find a time for you guys to hear from Ben again next week. We've got a whole bunch of stuff planned uh, for next week, and it should be a lot of fun. Um, and I will see you then. I think they like my Colorado